Welcome back to Awakening Reformation, where Reformation awakens now. My name is Grant, and joined with me is my beautiful wife, Erica, the weaker vessel. Hello, everyone. Who, if you listened to us about a year ago, yep. she had lost her voice then as well. In the last couple of days, it's been rough. I have a weak voice box, apparently. So the... So bear with my, my squeakiness. The nickname. I sound like a goose. <laughs> the nickname comes in into reality. You wake up the whole neighborhood. <laughs> you get this from? No. The Aristocast member. Yeah. The drunk. Oh, oh yeah. Wake up the whole. Neighborhood. You wake up the whole neighborhood. Don't trust your old Uncle Waldo. Why you? You'll wake up the whole neighborhood. Whoopee! <laughs> <laughs> Those other voices joined with us is Sandra and Scotty Rowlett. So if you want to get to know more about Awakening Reformation Podcast, we're part of the Rebel Alliance Media, along with our good friends, the Rebel Podcast, P. Nate and Poots, from Canadia Land. Mm-hmm. And then we have Ben and Andrew Emery. They write for the blog and do a whole lot of behind-the-scenes things. Ben has been on the Friday Culture Engagement videos on our facebook so they're a part of our team he does a lot of editing and blog behind the scenes stuff yeah he's kind of like the coo you know the operations chief of operations yep officer also go check out the church history podcast we record with our kids that's meant for families that comes out on mondays it's called fathers of the faith for covenant kids if you subscribe to us in itunes or your favorite podcast catcher you'll get all three podcasts weekly so go like and share and subscribe to us. These uh, these episodes are being pre-recorded because Grant is in a military school. Yeah. So right now I'm actually not here. Well, they're, you're not with them anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like I am when we record. Anyway, probably stinking cold. And yep. hopefully you don't have any after Christmas blues. Especially our friends in Canada. Yep. They're probably really cold. They're living in igloos right now. Well, you're going to be down in uh, Fort Jackson, aren't you? So, So, that's a good question. P-Nate or Poots or any of our Canada listeners. Canadian listeners. Canadian listeners. (laughs) Listeners (laughs) from Canada. Have you guys ever slept in an igloo or like gone? Is that a thing people do? I think that's more Alaskan, isn't it? I don't know. Anything above our border, our northern border, I think igloos happen up there. It's just straight You're Arctic. such a Californian. <laughs> I agree with him, though. 100%. I only ever saw igloos in, like, books and movies. Growing up in the South, uh, that's basically my, my reference for the, the Arctic Circle basically starts, <laughs> like, like, right on the northern border of the U.S. and Canada. They're hanging out in igloos, ice fishing, mm-hmm. with their polar bear rugs. Listen, <laughs> I grew up in Wisconsin, which is right up there next to the Great Lakes. It's true. We didn't have any igloos, but... Because you weren't in Canada. Shanties all over the lake. But we do a lot of ice fishing. <laughs> if, yeah. If you would have walked across the border into Canada, boom, igloo. It'd probably been an igloo sitting right there. Come on, guys. Help me out here. Border Patrol probably, like, their, their like, guard shacks are igloos, probably, for Canada. 100%. 
Yeah, that's that's definitely probably found. I'm sorry, Canadians. On the internet, which these makes stupid it southerners in California know nothing of cold and snow. They don't even have trucks; they just have like snowmobiles. These people put chains when it snows. Put chains on their trucks and cars. What about dog sleds? Oh yeah, amateurs. It's because we're climbing elevations. Do Nate and Chris have dog sleds? Yeah. I don't think Do they, they have, have a, a team? dog. Do they have dogs? They have to yeah, for the sleds. But they're all wolves. That's all they have for dogs. You guys. <laughs> I you, feel personally affected by this. If you could see the irritation in his face right now. You're so American. <laughs> Americans are not dumb. But, I, mean, I promise. Well, she's barely American. She just, just thinking, made it. We were just thinking about... A lot of cannabis stuff. That's why I'm an enigma. I don't know what I am. <laughs> <laughs> but growing up being a hockey fan, I know that there are the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know this, or you just googled it five seconds ago with the Scotty? Winnipeg something. I didn't Google because I I don't I still don't know the Winnipeg. Team. You're from California. You don't even know what hockey is. Listen, so don't even get us started. <laughs> this is even. another marital dispute with us. <laughs> like. Like hockey for Grant, since he's in California, is like rollerblades. Yes, I'm sorry that we no, it costs a lot of money we... to keep water frozen in California. <laughs> when we first got married, he told me he played hockey, and then he told me he played roller hockey. I'm like, that's not hockey. It totally exactly. is. It is it not totally hockey. Is. No. Thank you, Scott. Because no. I actually grew up. That's because you're from hockey. the south. Listen, Amateurs. I'm not saying it's the best form of hockey. Okay. Ice hockey would have been awesome. That's like saying broom ball is hockey. But that no, because <laughs> no, not no, even no. the same. Not levels. even close. At least it's not on ice. Go Predators, because oh, you're from Tennessee. Because I'm you Tennessee, and that is my team. But I want to know what teams or what team the Rebels root for. Like, what team are they a fan? What are we? Of? What sport are we talking about? Hockey or roller hockey? <laughs> what team? Rebels, let us know. So if you yeah, right. if you downloaded this episode, hoping to hear. Um, more from Burkhoff's <laughs> Manual of Christian Doctrine. We are now going to get into it. By God's providence. Ooh, nice segue. You're welcome. I'm just going to let you guys know, it's pretty awesome. We're already 100 pages into this thing. 111 to be exact. That's right. If you're following along with us in your own paperback copy of this, yeah, we're at page 111 on the section on providence. So we're about a third of the way through. Pretty cool. So do you want to go ahead and get us into this topic? Sure. Bear with my crazy voice. So the providence of God is described by Burkhoff as Christian faith is equally opposed to a pantheistic confusion of God and the world and to a deistic separation of God from the world. And he kind of goes in and he breaks off the providence of God into three general sections. The sections that he describes... God's providence as are preservation, cooperation, and government. This is described as the work of God by which he preserves all of his creatures. He's active in all that transpires in the world and directs all things to their appointed end. And he does that through preservation, through cooperation, and in government as he laid out those three elements of the divine providence. And when Burkhoff starts out by saying we're not pantheistic and we're not deistic, what he is... We'll get into that a little bit. Yeah, it'll, we'll get into that a little bit more too. But we're talking about God's relation to the world, basically. How closely mm-hmm. related is he to the affairs of our day-to-day, 
of the weather, of what humans do, history. All this is kind of encapsulated. And that's where he divided it up into those three categories of how God works in those three avenues. Further going into the primary references, as far as the preservation is the being, the concurrence or cooperation is the activity, Mm -hmm. and then the government is the guidance that he places over it. Yeah. So misconceptions about the nature of providence. Again, dealing with God's relation to the world. The first one is a deistic conception, which says that God created the world, established the laws of nature. And a lot of people have said this is kind of like winding up a clock. This is kind of the deistic view of God and the world as he created everything like that person winding up a clock and then let go. So he's not intricately uh, involved in the operation of mm-hmm. everything. He the just kind of functions. Yeah, he just kind of set it up in place and set it on its course. And that view of God and the world has led to many to not believe in miracles. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But because God has set his laws, anything that goes contrary to laws, they say, no, that's not the way it works. So that must have not been what happened. Well, and it can also be traced back to agnostic views and things like that. Right, yeah. He's not noble. He's not here to have a relationship with. Mm -hmm. He's not involved in what you're doing. So you don't really need to worry about him. But then it also goes in and says that he can interfere, but really it's only if something like goes wrong. Yeah. If something's like crazy, okay, he's going to intervene. So going back to to the the watchmaker, winding up the watch. Okay, if the watch has some kind of failure, okay, I'm going to step in. I'm going to fix it. Wind it back up. Wind it back up, and then I'm going to step back away and just Mm -hmm. let it go. So I don't know this, but I wonder if they would explain away like the flood as something like that. Something really went wrong, and so it needed to be like wound up again, and that's why something big happened. Wipe everything out. Too bad they didn't have like a a better God who could make a better world where it didn't (laughs) mess up or something. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Maybe it was just according to plan. So this is, again, in the deistic mindset. The world is like a machine which he has put into operation and not at all like a vessel which he pilots from day to day. I think that was pretty good. Yeah. Summation. The next one is the pantheistic conception. Pantheism does not recognize the distinction between God and the world. I like Teresa, the the whole course of nature is simply the self-revelation of god a self-revelation that leaves no room for the independent operation yeah also that last sentence according to this system man is not a free moral being and is not responsible for his actions yeah legit with a pantheistic mindset if if all is god right if we're all just kind of a part of god and a part of god being god because they don't make a distinction between the creature and the creation exactly then i'm not to blame i'm I'm just doing what god wants to do yep this is all god just doing his thing and i know even in some talks of sovereignty and reform circles it can almost go that direction Mm -hmm. i mean we do believe that god is involved in every action in the creation which he gets into Mm -hmm. but we can't go so far as to the negation of secondary causes well he didn't create puppets Super important yeah. yeah but like what sandra said we still have to maintain that god can act independently from mm-hmm. his creation and that's based on scripture not just our yeah. own thinking scripture says that he does that 
Yep. So the pantheistic all is God obviously does not mesh with scripture, but it also ends up making God the author and cause, primary cause of evil. That's pantheism. In a nutshell. So the objects of divine providence. The objects of divine providence. <laughs> yep. It is customary to distinguish between general and special providence, former denoting God's control of the universe as a whole, and the latter his care for each part of it. So scripture clearly teaches God's providential government and control. First over the universe at large, speaks of it in creation, over the physical world, over the brute creation, over affairs of nations, over man's birth and lot in life, uh, over one. yeah, uh, over things seemingly accidental uh, or insignificant, in the protection of the righteous, in supplying the wants of God's people, in giving answers to prayer, and in the exposure and punishment of the wicked. Uh, one I want to go back to is uh, over the things seemingly accidental or insignificant, yeah. because if he doesn't have control over the small things, how can he have control over the large things? Right. And you know, clearly, I mean, the Hoff is uh, definitely loaded up with uh, scriptures oh. to uh, to back those points. But I, I think that's uh, something big to to pull out of that. Every aspect of us and our our place in life and and what's going on, he. He does have his control, providence over. Well, and this is why Christians should take a second look at believing in things or saying things similar to good luck or something about fate and karma, karma, or well, that's what you get, you know. And obviously, the Lord has has designed the world in a way that it works best this way, and when you buck against that things screw up right i mean sin has brought cause and effect yeah so there is a cause and effect to a lot of things but it's not like you know karma where you pay into it and it will you know pay you back your dividends or like fate where no matter what you do it's just fixed and you can't help it like butterfly effect mm. type thing you know so i think seeing how many scriptures burkhoff really does line up here with all these different things even over the affairs of nations man's birth and lot in life, the number of our days. You know, there's so many things like that we should take note of to change our thinking with a lot of those kind of cultural phrases and terms that we hear so much. As far as talking about the cultural karma and yeah. luck. Yeah, there are, um, I think it was R.C. Sproul that had the quote where there was no rogue molecule in the universe they're all under the providential hand of God, even down to the tiniest thing. The Lord is in control of it and guiding it and leading it to his desired ends. You know, mm. the three elements of providence in particular. The first one is divine preservation. Preservation is that continuous work of God by which he upholds all things. This does not mean, as some pantheists assume, that God continues to create the world from moment to moment nor simply as the deists think that he withdraws his hand from the world and does not destroy it. It proceeds on the assumption that the world has a distinct existence apart from God, but that it nevertheless has the ground of its continued existence in God 
and not in itself. You can see that Burkhoff from scripture is trying to clearly maintain that God employs second causes, which is nature, us, to do things. But at the same time, scripture clearly teaches that we have our, you know, breath and life and being are in him and through him to him and in him are all things like we are dependent on him. God alone is sovereign and absolutely independent and the creature is and always remains dependent on him. So creation will always rely on on God. Uh, It goes back to when we're talking about the attributes earlier on in our readings. So the next element is divine concurrence. Concurrence may be defined as that work of God by which he cooperates with all his creatures and causes them to act precisely as they do. So this is very important, and a lot of people would not, like, admit this or say this because it sounds very, um... Like we're puppets. Right, perfect. This means that there are real causes in the world, such as the forces of nature and the will of man, but that these causes do not work independently of God. God is operative in every act of his creature, not only in their good, but also in their evil acts. That's where a lot of people would go, what? He stimulates them to action, accompanies their action at every moment, and makes this action effective. We should guard against the idea that God and man have an equal part in the work. So here's the distinction he's making. For God ever remains the primary cause, without which man can do nothing, and against the notion that the two divide the work, God doing a part and man a part. The same deed is in its entirety both a deed of God and a deed of the creature. This should be so conceived, however, that where God cooperates with man, the responsibility for the deed remains that of the moral creature. God cannot be held responsible for the sins of his creatures. This must be maintained in spite of the fact that we cannot fully explain what is certainly true, namely, that God's concurrent action involves no responsibility on his part for the evil of man. So I know I read a big chunk of Burkhoff, but it's super helpful, I think, to really see what he says there and how he qualifies his statements. Because just like in our episode on the decrees and that Doug Wilson quote that I read, God has woven suffering and evil into his story as the great story writer for purposes only sometimes we know and a lot of times we don't know and like Burkhoff humbly admits here that we cannot fully explain what is certainly true we we know that God cannot be the author of evil or the primary cause of evil but we know that he does use evil for his purposes he used Roman soldiers to murder his son to also accomplish salvation So, I'm glad the way that he qualified and clarified that one in this section. So, uh, divine government is the continued activity of God whereby he rules all things so that they answer to the purpose of their existence. This is his active hand of continually working his, his creatures. Governing the affairs of nations and governing nature... And this divine government we see in scripture is universal and relates to particulars. And even evil deeds of men, like we just said, are all under divine control. And God is working all these things to his desired end, like Burkhoff said. And nothing can ever be withdrawn from his government. 
Exactly. All right, last section. Extraordinary providences, or we're talking about miracles here. So a miracle is something done without recourse to the ordinary means of production, a result called forth directly by the first cause, God, without the mediation, at least in the usual way, of second causes. So this is God acting in the world in a way that goes against the laws of nature or using those secondary causes like nature in a way that's extraordinary. Give me an example. So an example would be a virgin giving birth. Here's one example. A man giving birth. I mean, that's also extraordinary and against what's normal. (laughs) But that's not. He used a normal thing, but still in an extraordinary way. Some maintain that miracles are impossible on the ground that they imply a violation of laws of nature. But this is not the the case. The so-called laws of nature merely represent God's usual method of working in nature. It is His good pleasure to work ordinarily in an orderly way through secondary causes. That is, through the powers of nature or through the activity of man. Usually, the atheist... The rationalist is going to say, listen, that's not how things work. You know, men don't rise from the dead. Virgins don't give birth to babies. They don't just become pregnant. Lepers don't just get healed of their disease. Water doesn't randomly turn to wine. Right. So nice fairy tales that you have there, you know. And our answer is, this is just the way God ordinarily has things function. But that's also why we call it a miracle. If dead people were always coming up from the dead and being resurrected, then it wouldn't be such a big deal. But because Jesus rose from the dead, it was a really big deal because that doesn't ordinarily happen. And Burkhoff even uh, goes through and gives an example. Even man can counteract the laws of nature without disturbing them in any way. He can lift up his hand and throw a ball in the air in spite of the law of gravitation. And if this is possible for man, it is all the more possible for the omnipotent God. So, yeah, even even in our limited amount of power, we can, quote unquote, defy a law of nature for a short amount of time. I, I would hope that God could do the same if, you know, and more than myself. <laughs> Just saying. Not, not one to put him in a little box or a cage by any means. All right. Well, that's providence. You guys good? Yeah, we're good. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for listening to another bite sized Burkoff episode. We hope you tune in next week for some more. And we pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened by the power of the Spirit. And until next time, get, get woke. Yeah. Let's start with the microphone check. One, two, first. Water to the dry and weary soul of the true church. The kind of things that few search. They say that the truth hurts. Well, this pain is gained, so let's explain the new birth. First things first, can't neglect this at the start. I must preface my remarks with the deadness of the heart from original sin. The effects of the fall. The sin of our first parents brought death to us all. Since Adam was our federal head, what he did counted for us. In him were all rebels and dead. Yo, captured in the mind, disaster, sin and crimes in a dark state, Alaska in the winter time, sour in our frames, left to ourselves, we be devoured in the flames, cause we're powerless to change, if you feel that way, I pray that you respond happily, as you see what Jesus had to say in John chapter 3.
you peep this, you'll see that verse one is my thesis. It's the deepest truth that should get you speechless. What scripture teaches will fill in the missing pieces. Picture Jesus meeting up with Nicodemus. Perhaps it was fright about the other Pharisees' wicked spite against Christ that turned this into Nicked Night. He called the rabbi and gave him props, said he was a teacher from God. Jesus replied, made him stop. Regarding the kingdom of God, no one's going in. In fact, you can't even see it unless you're born again. That must have consumed and stretched his mind, cause he said, Can a man enter his mother's womb a second time? Naturalistically, the only way for him to hear it. Jesus said you must be born of the water and the spirit. No other way to enter heaven. That sounds like Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. In this new birth, the spirit is the source and the agent. The water symbolizes spiritual purification. Flesh can only produce flesh. That's true and factual. Regenerating work of the spirit is supernatural. It's kind of like the wind, which is free. East to west can't perceive the steps. You can only see its effects in the same way the Holy Spirit chooses who he pleases to sovereignly open their eyes to the truth of Jesus. For the spirit's mysterious operation uh-huh. We will all be under serious condemnation I'd still be rejecting the sun If God hadn't said let there be light Like Genesis 1 yeah. And just like the light could not refuse to shine Irresistible grace has renewed my mind Let's exalt the king who died and truly is risen Jesus. The new birth is not the effect of human decision But the cause It changes our natural habitation The situation It's a radical transformation I was cursed and polluted So my dirt was inexcusable With new internal his person is beautiful, his worth is indisputable The lamb is amazing, a standing ovation for his work in the crucible So let us respond with true worship and love To the God who has given new birth from above Thank you.